Welcome to Japanese London Living. I'm your host, Vanessa Villalobos, and I'm on a very simple mission to fill life with more Japan in London. I'll be uncovering practical ways to enjoy connecting to Japanese language, mindset, and lifestyle in our everyday lives here in the UK. In this first series, I'll be explaining the six steps of my omoshiroi method to bring language and lifestyle together. Today's show is the third in my omoshiroi series. I'll be getting down to the roots, excavating my deepest reason for my love for Japan. And I'll be asking questions to unearth your unique Japan story too. If you're keen to do this and pin down your Japanese learning plan, I do invite you to visit japaneselondoncom playbook and download a copy of the Omoshiroi playbook. In this episode, I'll also give you some recommendations of five ways we can enjoy Japan in the UK every day, even in November, even in lockdown. So let's get on with the show. When I was 15 years old, my father went on a business trip to Japan. My father was a Yorkshireman and not at all given to gushing enthusiasm except perhaps for a chip butty. Given his usual world-weary demeanour and workaholic tendencies, I was positively gobsmacked when he came back from his Japan trip, all lit up like Akihabara Electronic District on a Saturday night. He had some cool Japanese souvenirs too, some weird coffee gum a hand-carved wooden Hokkaido bear, and a lovely crane-printed summer yukata cotton gown for me. It was very exciting. He said, Vanessa, if you ever get the chance to go to Japan, go! I was all like, yeah, okay, Dad. Like many people who fall for Japan's charms, My dad couldn't even put his finger on what it was exactly that he loved about the place. He liked the way the staff in McDonald's bowed when handing over his cheeseburger. He loved the gardens at Kyoto's temples. He appreciated the craftsmanship of the Hokkaido bear. He wasn't crazy about the food. Not a seafood fan. So I didn't understand quite what it was that he found so wonderful about the place. And neither did he. But I never forgot that spark that Japan had somehow managed to kindle in my cynical father. And when I discovered the opportunity of teaching in Japan on the JET program in my last year of my English degree at Nottingham University, I positively leaped at the chance. 
I came down to London for my interview at the Embassy of Japan. And I remember spending ages squeezed into the Japan Center shop, which was in a very cramped location right on Piccadilly back then. I ogled the imported groceries, having no idea what they might be, but loving the packaging. And then I wedged myself into a tight space to fully immerse myself in the glory of the stationary section. I recall also a Japanese restaurant. It's long gone, I'm afraid. Across from the youth hostel I stayed in, which had a splendid display of replica plastic food in the window, bowls of noodles and plates of salad. I've never seen that in London since, actually. I found it all so compelling. I was hooked already on something. I didn't know what. Fast forward to arriving at my apartment in Tochigi on a sticky, humid day in mid-August. I found watermelon ice lollies in the freezer, peach-scented shampoo in the shower, and a toweling summer blanket on my bed. How thoughtful. I was incredibly touched. This was in the pre-smartphone era, and I spoke barely a word of Japanese. I didn't even own a laptop. I was totally immersed in Japanese. Well, everything. And that everything was so different to what I'd previously experienced. And sometimes so topsy-turvy opposite to what I'd thought was the right way to do things that sometimes I felt like Alice in Wonderland trying to make sense of an experience that was often quite surreal. You know that part in the book where she meets the Queen and says to her, there's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I had a lot of practice believing impossible things and it felt urgent to me to get my head around my mind-bending new circumstances. I wanted to extract the key, the solution, the essence. I was on a mission to find that spark for my dad. He had slipped into a very deep depression and had become seriously ill. I wanted to fix him. After all, he was the reason that I'd been inspired to travel to Japan. During rushed, very expensive, international phone calls, I told him what I'd seen and learned about Japanese ways of doing things. I told him phrases I'd learned about the incredible attention to detail I saw and the small, simple rituals I saw elegantly embedded into everyday life. But although he was happy that I was happy in Japan, there was nothing I could say that could light him up. I couldn't fix my dad, but I could fix myself. 
I stayed in Japan for three years, immersed in the culture of Japan, and after tantalizing glimpses of understanding, it was time for me to leave. Craning my neck, I caught a last peek of my Japanese friends and colleagues. They had gathered to wave goodbye from the station platform. My eyes stung with tears. As the train pulled away, I was narita bound. I thought my love affair for Japan was over. Back in the UK, I was madly keen to make sense of my Japan experience and keep a tight hold of it. I got the Rosetta Stone language study program, kanji cards, and an intimidating pile of Japanese textbooks. I just couldn't find the right Japanese language lessons in London at the perfect level, at the ideal time, and a convenient location. Many group lessons were aimed at beginners, and others were all textbook based. Some focused exclusively on JLPT exam prep, <coughs> excuse me, or passing Japanese GCSEs or A levels. This wasn't what I was looking for. I was worried about wasting time and money on group lessons that didn't give me much chance to properly communicate with the only Japanese native speaker in the room, the teacher. This is why I started my um, connection agency of connecting learners of Japanese to Japanese tutors here in London. But, that, but back then I felt lost and I wondered about just giving it up. After all, I still wasn't anywhere near fluent and I didn't work for a Japanese company. What was the point? It was then I realized something deceptively simple. Language is culture. Culture is language. You can't separate the two. So I was no longer grasping desperately at some kind of special secret wisdom to save my father's mental health. I wasn't living in Japan anymore. And so I didn't need to lunge towards fluency in the language. What I needed to do now to improve my understanding of Japan was live it. I loosened up. I focused on chatting with Japanese friends and colleagues in Japanese or English, reading books on Japan. I went to see Japanese films in the BFI London Film Festival. I listened to Japanese music. I took sushi and okonomiyaki cooking classes. I found I could capture the essence of my time in Japan by slowing down and looking at the small details that made up my life. I brought Japanese designed objects into my home, a rice cooker, beautiful big bowls, and we got a stackable futon bed from the British Futon Company. 
all of these I use and appreciate every single day. Step by step, I work to consciously create a Japan-inspired style of living in London. I practice calligraphy. I celebrate the passing seasons. And I fall like Marie Kondo. Sometimes. I love it all. So how about you? Let's do your Japan inventory. If you listened to episode one of this series, you might remember that I talked about excavating your own Japan story, checking out your roots. Can you remember your very first experience with Japanese culture or language? Was it a film, a video game, a book or a friend at school? Look back into your past and list your experiences with anything and everything Japanese. Why did you like it or not like it? How did it make you feel? And what about now? What gets you most excited? If you have been following the Omoshiroi method, you might have already done a Japan-related interests inventory. So what is it? Cooking, film... Origami, manga, fashion, muji, bonsai, anything. Defining what you love and getting more of it into your daily life is such a fruitful way to, yes, learn, but more crucially, to enjoy your everyday existence. Now, I know it's easy to get a bit despondent here. Japan feels particularly particularly far away this year in 2020. It was more reassuring to think that we could just hop on a flight over there anytime, even if it is, in fact, an expensive long-haul flight. But life is what happens when you're making other plans, right? If you love Japan, there's so much you can access from London anywhere in the UK in fact. Japanese things have never been so popular or accessible all over the world. Here are five Japanese things that can be enjoyed from your home in the lockdown. Number one, Japanese food. Although I have to admit I've been enjoying Japanese food a little too much in 2020, It has definitely been a pleasant diversion. There was a bit of controversy at the end of October when the Bake Off TV series hosted a Japan special but utilised Indian and Chinese ingredients. It was a bit of a poorly researched show. My article where can I get Japanese sweets, cakes and bread in London? Suddenly got a surge of traffic of people after the real thing. There are hundreds of Japanese restaurants in the UK and there's never been a better time to support small businesses. Um, but we can't eat delivery every day. So I, for one, am certainly cooking more. 
We are so lucky to have some wonderful Japanese chefs who reside in London, and many have published cookery books in English. A few of my personal go to favorites are Reiko Hashimoto's Cook Japan, Yuki Gomi's Sushi at Home, and Tim Anderson's Japanese. So, number two is Japanese. Design. I've been reading the classic book, The Beauty of Everyday Things by Soetsu Yanagi, and thinking more about basic Japanese items. My Japanese teacup and Japan inspired, German made iron teapot from Rouge give me pleasure every day. My dad passed down some Japanese knives to us, and I'm keen to invest in more Japanese knives and sharpening lessons from kitchen provisions. It's got branches in Stoke Newington and Coles Drop Yard. Number three is film. What is better than sitting down to escape the strangeness of 2020 with a film? I've been buying some DVDs from Third Window Films and finally caught Jiro Dreams of Sushi on Amazon. Been meaning to watch that for many years.、Um, and if you do it right, I think time spent watching Japanese film can be counted as time spent learning Japanese. If that sounds good to you, check out my article, How to Learn. Japanese by watching film on JapaneseLondon.com for my top tips, including what genres to pick. Number four is heightening awareness of nature. There's a cherry tree right outside my window of my home office here in sunny Tottenham. I have never been so aware of it. In previous years, the fruit has crunched under my feet as I hurried off to the station. This year, instead, we picked cher- the cherries with our boys and made cherry pancakes. Currently, just a few yellow leaves cling to the branches. So much of Japanese culture is centered around observing the seasons and generally being present when in nature. Shinrin yoku is an official Japanese government sanctioned term for forest therapy. What I love about this phrase is that it serves as a reminder to be fully present when I'm outside. Even literally, the smell of the earth and trees have health benefits. And last but not least, number five, decluttering. With spending so much more time at home in 2020, my house has become messier and I'm a lot more aware of it. I've been working on a Marie Kondo approach to tidying for years. But it's never been more relevant. I love knowing where everything is so that I use things more and buy less. It's so important to teach the children to look after their toys and, and know where they are and put them back. 
instead of leaving them scattered underfoot and making me go insane. <laughs> so another book I'm currently reading is Goodbye Things by Fumio Sasaki. It's a very convincing essay on the philosophical and cultural history of minimalism. So I really hope you've enjoyed the episode as much as I have reading it. Um, learning Japanese is a journey, not a dense destination. So let's enjoy our trip. What is your Japan story? I'd love to know. JapaneseLondon.com puts you firmly at the center of your Japanese learning journey. Let us connect you with a tutor for one-to-one -one online lessons. Or if you're not ready for that yet, head to JapaneseLondon.com slash playbook and determine what's your own Japanese learning plan. I hope to see you again next time. In the meantime, if you enjoyed it, please do leave us a review. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu.